let's kick this thing off. All right, welcome to episode three of the Web3 show. I'm back with the wannabe wizards back for another round uh, on call-in. I'm here with uh, Galactic Q set up in his uh, nondescript location, uh, his Red Pull warehouse ready to dish them out, uh, ship them off with Amazon. <laughs> and of course, your guy in TradFi from an undisclosed location on Wall Street. And as always, I'm Luca, the front man of the Web3 show. Boys, how are we feeling tonight? I don't know about you, but I'm really loving coming on consistently every Monday evening. Really, really gets me going. I feel like I'm coming on to play a rug- rugby or water polo or football match or whatever. Yeah. How, are you, how are we feeling tonight? Oh, cheapers. Third week in a row, I'm, I'm impressed, guys. Um, yeah, it's been it's been exciting, quite a journey so far. I'm, I'm, yeah, started something big, in my opinion. Yeah, that's it. Well, no one wants to hear us talk about how we feel for too long. Um, let's dive straight into it for tonight. <laughs> um, straight into the market update. Q, what is going on with the markets for this week? Well, yeah, just to just to keep it short and brief. Um, you know, something I touched on last week as well in the market updates. Uh, we currently are right now getting a little bit of a pullback in the market, which is too expected. Uh, we did see you know, a bit of volatility to the bearish side over the past couple of days with a dip down to 55K. Um, ultimately, I don't think that's enough red in the streets for me. Um, I think we still need to come down to that 53K level to 52K level before we see the bounce and push for Bitcoin again. Um, so yeah, I mean, based on what the four hour, the 12 hour and the daily charts are telling me, I can see us consolidating downwards, um, following its current descending trend to that 52, 53 K level before we bounce. So ultimately I'm short term bearish. Um, so short term short. All right. And is that short term about a month out from here? Or no, what's I your, think, what's your I, think I think, yeah, considering over the next week, um, I think, you know, come end of this week, we'll start seeing, you know, some green in the markets, uh, maybe starting out early next week, uh, we'll start pushing up again. Um, I think we have the futures close out coming up at the end of this week. So I think leading up to that, we'll see, you know, a bit, a bit more volatility and ultimately that push down to those lower levels. Um, uh, but then I think once all that's cleared up, we'll start pushing up to, towards the greener skies again. All right. Perfect. That's your market update for this week. Uh, Q will be in the trenches again for this week and we'll have another one next Monday uh, for you. But let's dive straight into the first topic for today, boys. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, particularly Coinbase NFT. Uh, I know they, they they teased their product quite a while ago, sort of mid-October, but we thought we'd maybe just touch on the broader landscape uh, of the NFT space at the moment, what's going on, but particularly just starting at this pivotal point of Coinbase, Coinbase's NFT project that is rumored to be launching uh, by the end of the year. And a bunch of things have happened in the past in the past week that we'll be touching on. But uh, Luca, what are you what are your initial thoughts on Coinbase's NFT project? Yeah, I I think two points. Um, In in the first instance, it's worth kind of like zooming out and just looking at the landscape overall. I mean, what stands out is is obviously OpenSea. I think as things stand now, you you can't really separate NFTs from OpenSea. 
I think something like 95% of NFT volume um, is on OpenSea. So, I mean, Coinbase NFT um, is, is going to be competing with OpenSea, I think. So, there's a great um, website, dapp.com, which has it's got a beautiful um, dashboard kind of covering broad statistics on different decentralized applications. Um, and if you look at the at the page for OpenSea, what you can see is that the the 90 day NFT trading volume was uh, nearly eight billion dollars. So OpenSea has kind of a revenue model where they they, they take a commission um, around 2.5 percent, if I'm not mistaken. And I mean that's kind of almost 200 billion dollars over over and 90 days over 90 days. I mean we had the Coinbase Q3 report come out. I mean, they're looking at, they've, they made revenue of about 1.2 billion. And I mean, comparing the user base, so Coinbase has kind of on average 7.4 million monthly transacting users. OpenSea, you, you've got the stats on dapp.com. It's, it's, it's 90 day unique NFT traders, and it's about 0.5 million. So obviously the Coinbase user base is quite a bit bigger than the OpenSea user base. And I think more broadly, NFTs are still a subset of crypto rather than the other way around. Um, if Coinbase were to capture the kind of trading volume that OpenSea is doing, it would have a material impact on their bottom line. So I think on the one end, you've got the pure economic motivation. On the other end, I mean, crypto is kind of weighted towards economic capital. capital Whereas NFTs, you're kind of wedded towards social capital. It's like holding NFTs is different to holding crypto. And I think to kind of get the kind of holistic experience for users on Coinbase, they're, they're going to be forging into this whole NFT space. I think... Well, yeah, and I mean, but, but I mean, do we see them, do we see them basically building on that point just when you compared it to OpenSea? Do we see them coming in? Because I mean, we saw... You know, within two days, they had 1.5 million people sign up to their on for the you know for an early release of their product. Do we see them when they launch just completely obliterating OpenSea over the next quarter, maybe you know Q1, Q2 of 2022, and just that completely flips the other way, or will it be a bit sticky to come off OpenSea? No, I, I think I'm counting on it. Again, you've got all these abstractions in in the crypto space, where it's actually not so easy uh, to work with these wallets to kind of navigate OpenSea. I mean, there are a lot of scams. Um, it, it's really not an easy space um, to make money in. And I think that will be the primary motivation for many people at the start. Um, so I think OpenSea, if, if they can guarantee some sort of curatorship, um, they've got the volumes, they've got the users, um, and, and they're obviously gonna be putting the name behind that platform. So there's gonna be that base level of trust that they're gonna be able to leverage. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, for sure. And I mean, but you know, Q, what are you? What what are your thoughts on? I'm sure you all watched the um, the the product actual product teaser when the VP of product sort of led led us through what it's going to look like. My thinking is that you know, when I saw that, I was like, okay, wow, they're going for more of the. They're really tapping into the social aspects, and for me, that was like, you know, it's a huge differentiator. 
to Coinbase's sort of identity as a company and where they're going to go. So what were your guys' thoughts, Jonty, particularly? What did you think of like the product design and where that's going to go? I mean, for me, it's it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of, you know, brought brought back a feeling of like an early Facebook or, you know, just like a completely NFT social network almost, which was which was super interesting to to actually witness. Well, I mean, I think that's that's quite important that they do that. You know, if you look if you look at who the, the broader NFT space is, it's it's mass adoption of retail. You know, it's it's leading that charge for mass adoption and you know a large portion of those users I mean, at the start, at least, were gamers, um, you know, with the whole narrative of GameFi and, you know, owning these NFTs and having utility with them in games. Um, and, you know, if you look at, if you look at OpenSea, as, as, as Steiner mentioned there, you know, there's a lot of barriers, you know, with these, these decentralized wallets and things like that. And it's, it's like OpenSea as a platform is, is great, but it's, it's not necessarily extremely user-friendly. Um, you know, with the whole narrative of having to connect to DEX and load it with ETH and then do all these various different signing of transactions and paying these ridiculous gas fees and all of that. So I think Coinbase adopting a very user-friendly social interface, you know, is going to attract tons of users to that platform. Um, it's just largely going to boil down on how they position themselves. Um, in, in the NFT market, you know, do they position themselves as becoming the leading NFT marketplace and, you know, dominating what OpenSea is, or do they look for integrations and, you know, sort of integrating OpenSea's collections and user base and try to bridge them across? Um, I think that's going to be quite important. But when it comes down to, you know, their millions of users uh, that have already, you know, signed up to the waitlist and all these things, I think adopting that whole social measure is a lot more relatable, especially for first-time NFT users. Um, you know, launching my own NFT project, I've, like the biggest barrier for us as a team is explaining to people that have never bought an NFT how to actually set up a MetaMask account or these various decentralized wallets. So I think Coinbase going for a very user-friendly social platform is the best way to go for a lot of new users. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Because if you look at the stats, I mean, Luca already touched on it briefly, but Coinbase has, you know, 2021, they've got 8.8 .8 million monthly active users. They've got overall around 60 million verified users. And then they're creating this beautiful product, you know, hopefully that's a simple onboarding process. You create your profile. It's pretty easy. A few clicks, connect your wallet. You can even link your Coinbase account, like just your exchange account that doesn't even need a MetaMask wallet or even a Coinbase self-custody wallet to access their product. And you look at that, it's frictionless, loads of users on their platform already. You'd think there's going to be like the, you know, it's going to be like the floodgates opening and just all these people flooding onto the platform. And I'm thinking here, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here and thinking, is this going to be, you know, the moment when NFTs finally gets blown open for the true mainstream? I mean, yes, like, you know, we, we see a lot of like, you know, big celebrity names in the space and a lot of NFT projects popping up like there's no tomorrow reminiscent of the, you know, the 99, uh, 2000 internet stock bubble. But do you guys think it's going to be Coinbase's product that opens the floodgates or like we're seeing all of these, um, you know, celebrity uh, projects and 
you know, I'm sure you guys saw, uh, if you haven't already, uh, you know, Post Malone and the Weekends new music video where you see Post Malone buying a board app on MoonPay. Is that going to be the thing? Because that's that's quite interesting in terms of the NFT landscape. What? Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look, if you look at you know what's currently happening, I think largely those floodgates have been opened. I mean, with events like NFT New York and and all these big different NFT events happening all over the world, you know, I largely think with the boom in OpenSea, that floodgate is there. You know, I I, I think a large portion of those Coinbase users, you know, will already be in NFTs. Um, but I think it's onboarding the rest of them that's that's going to be big. So I don't think it's going to be the single event to onboard global adoption of NFTs, but I think it's a massive step in the right direction. Um, and I mean, yeah, I think I think there's going to be a lot of other platforms that bring out certain things. And I think OpenSea will eventually get a competitive edge again. I mean, they are exploring layer two options with partnerships with Immutable X um, and various other things like that. And, you know, ultimately, I think the DEX narrative will always beat the centralized narrative um, in the long run. So I do see, you know, OpenSea integrating Immutable X as a layer two solution to mitigate gas fees, Ethereum 2.0 eventually coming out <laughs> when it decides to. Um, and, you know, ultimately, OpenSea then continuing with the no KYC version <laughs> of mass adoption of NFTs. And, I, and ultimately, that's where I see the bigger the bigger, more influential people buying their NFTs. You might get a lot of sort of newer players coming through Coinbase, but I think the OG will remain with OpenSea because of that whole pseudo-anonymity, which most crypto users want to keep. They just want to be, you know, known as a punk or known as a as a board app or, um, you know, known as their, their digital identity. But, I'm, but I mean, won't, won't, won't that still be possible with Coinbase though? Or is it well, because, you know, if you, don't, if you take the, the route of the centralized account? You see, you see the, the, the problem is, you know, on, on OpenSea, you can have multiple different wallets that hold various different NFTs and you can bypass various different, you know, traditional world issues. Oh. For example, regulation. For example, you can, you can mitigate tax, you know, by buying your own NFT and technically wiping out your profit. You know, but you can do that through a decentralized network because wallets aren't traceable to your name. Coinbase, however, you'll be linked to a KYC verification to your account. So you can't do things like that. So I do think there's application for the decentralized space as well as the centralized space when it comes to NFT marketplaces. And I think it's just going to boil down to the type of user that uses them. I think new newbies and mass adoption will come through Coinbase, but I do think OGs will remain you know, as people learn more about NFTs and more about crypto, because ultimately NFTs is like the gateway drug into crypto, they'll shift onto the DEX sort of networks because it's going to become a lot more pseudo-anonymous, which is what a lot of people search for in the crypto space. Yeah. Do you, Luca, do you think celebrities, just transitioning a bit away from Coinbase, do you think celebrities are good for the NFT space or do you think it's just creating a bubble beyond all bubbles that we've that we've never fully comprehended? Uh, I mean, it's a good question and, and it, it's a bit hard to answer in the sense that, you know, the price of social credentials, it's pretty subjective. You know, I think uh, an example here, which is interesting, you know, two celebrities in the crypto space, Alex Beck and Elio Trades, they launched uh, a project Neo Tokyo. Um, 
the idea here was that the, the NFTs are basically free to mint and they grant you access into a club. And it, it's a very exclusive club because there are a limited number of, of these NFTs um, and they're difficult to, to get effectively. And now, the, I mean, entry into this Neo Tokyo universe effectively, I think it's, you know, six figures in dollar terms at least. Um, so six the, figures the in terms of what? to basically get into get into neo tokyo oh, right. so token gating is probably the most relevant application in the near term of nfts um, and and here you've kind of got the same issues you would have in kind of the traditional world you know i, I guess the, the social credentials might come in a different form here you, you here they're just verifiable you can use them as an actual uh, ticket into a club versus kind of more intangible kind of social connections, right? So I think to to get back to the question of whether celebrities are good for NFTs, um, I I would say yes. I think at the same time, you know, if if we revert back to kind of traditional ways of doing things um, and we just end up with a bunch of exclusive clubs where all the celebrities hang out, that's that's also not going to be the right approach. And I mean, the magic here is, you know, you can choose which NFTs to buy, be it on a decentralized exchange or uh, a centralized exchange. I mean, these can migrate um, on the blockchain. So, you know, you can you can vote with your feet, so to speak. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have a take on the whole celebrities in, in the NFT space. I don't know. Jonty, if you want to jump in, if you have a, if you have, a, have an opinion, um, but it's yeah. I mean, I, like I, I think it's quite cool. I mean, look at the explosion of board ABR clubs. You know, like every celebrity that wants to now be a relevant celebrity is buying a board ad. You know, Jimmy I, Fallon, I think, Steph Curry, Post Malone. Mark Cuban. So, so yeah. just on Post Malone, he actually, it's not confirmed that he personally bought it with his own money. That's just something we need to remember. Um, it was actually, but you see, this is what I want to get in. This is what I, this is what I wanted to bring yeah. up. Oh, sorry. Go on, go on, so, go, on, go, on, so, go on. So, so this is, so I think we're going to be tackling the same point here. Um, Luca is, is that a lot yes, of these yes, NFTs. Yes. So for example, you know, post Malone used the wallet that received the ETH to buy these two NFTs as a marketing thing on TikTok, you know, and, and at the end of it, buy it from Moonpay. From Moonpay. From Moonpay. Yeah, exactly. Sorry from Moonpay. And by the end of it, he ended up walking away with a couple, you know, ETH profits. It doesn't necessarily own that wallet and doesn't necessarily own those NFTs. So it's all well and good that he's playing a video of him buying these NFTs, but it's not verified that he's owned them. So so I think on one side, celebrities are great coming into the place, but on another side, it's just a new stream of marketing that can very falsely lead people in the wrong direction. Um, So I do think it's very cool. I mean, I view I view these big NFT collections like owning a punk or owning a board ape or a mutant ape or, you know, any of those big big NFT projects as the new way of playing golf. You know, back in the day, you would golf to network with business partners. Nowadays, you just own a JPEG and then you can network with all these people from all over the world. And you know, I think that's a very cool application, especially when you have influential people like celebrities in that space. But how many of those celebrities are actually in that space? is the question that needs to be answered. Yeah, or is it like a virtue signal and they're getting sort of a back backhand um, 
deal because I was going to actually watch the video. I don't know if anyone knows Coffeezilla on YouTube. I love his channel. He's literally, he calls himself the internet detective. And he's one of those guys who literally goes after like all the scam artists and, and like, you know, fake gurus think like Ty Lopez and all of those guys we used to watch five years ago on, on Facebook and whatever. But I mean, crypto is literally like he eats crypto for lunch because he can go on Etherscan and he can literally find, he just does a few deep dives, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And he finds, oh yeah, here's, um, you know, MoonPay uh, paying some wallet with some ETH. And then there's a transaction with in OpenSea. I would really recommend if people haven't watched it, go on YouTube, watch CoffeeZilla. I think the video is called Post Malone Promotes MoonPay. It's super interesting. And also like, because the, the board ape in the music video, they actually changed the background of it. Like it's not the exact ape that you would find on OpenSea. They changed a couple of things, which, you know, I don't know, do, do with that what you will. But you can clearly see the ETH coming in, going out to OpenSea. Then there's another transaction and it goes out. Then there's a few, then there's a bit left over. And this brings out up real life stuff, not to get all lawyery and boring, but then it literally comes, comes like, it literally brings in the FTC sort of advertising and, and marketing and other, uh, you know, legal bodies about good practices for advertising and disclosing financial interests and that sort of stuff. No in the music video did, you know, Post Malone or The Weeknd disclose that they own um, a board Apple, other NFTs that they're, that they're promoting. And this actually happened with another celebrity um, I don't know if you guys remember. Did you guys ever watch J uh, Drake and Josh, that 90s or like early 2000s cartoon? <laughs> yes, yes, well, I watched Drake, that, yeah. Drake, <laughs> that was fantastic. No. Drake from Drake and Josh, he's now, like if you go on his Twitter, he's all like shilling NFTs and, and stuff. And CoffeeZilla, this guy, did literally went onto Etherscan, found his wallet, and literally sort of just exposed him for promoting nft projects but not disclosing that he had been paid off by that project basically the project had just transferred him the nft and then he promotes the project being like oh i just aped into this project what 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 but it's a what it's a it's a complete lie and the guy lies to copyzilla on like he literally puts it on the youtube channel so anyway like long story short i'm just trying to make a point that while yes it's really good for getting you know taking it mainstream I think there is there's a lot of cause for concern where people just need to be careful of, you know, just you know actors and celebrities taking advantage of the whole space because it is unregulated. It is sort of the wild west at the moment, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the well, I mean one of the goals of any NFT community is you know building kind of social capital, and you, you've got these influencers and celebrities, and they they already have it. Right. So if, if they back a project, you know, there will be buyers. Um, and, and in the end, it's an open question where the real value is created, which which is the original promise um, of NFTs and, and Web3. Yeah. And that's the problem. You have then you have then yeah. these normies, these people who literally see, oh, uh, I follow Drake Bell or I follow Logan Paul or Jake Paul and they aped into Dink Doink and whatever. So I'm going to do the same and I'm going to put <laughs> all my $10,000 savings into it and lose it all. I, like if you ask me, I, would, but isn't, I, won't, isn't go, that... I won't go anywhere near anything Logan Paul or Jake Paul <laughs> promote.
But I mean, isn't isn't that what happens in the real world already? I mean, they they talk about a product on one of their videos, and it just goes nuts with sales, and never really disclose whether they own it or not. So they're kind of like bridging this this like traditional way of false marketing to to you know crypto now. Um, but I mean, sure, sure, it's a problem. Yeah. But John, John T, it's never been. I don't think it's ever been in something that's as liquid or like easily tradable and that can lose value overnight. I think this is unprecedented the way, like in the crypto in in, in the crypto lab. Yeah. You know what I mean. So that that's where I'm coming. From. I think people yeah. can literally lose their money overnight. Like we talked about Squid Game yeah. and Squid Game Coin in episode one. Um, not that a celebrity was was promoting that. No, but, it's, you know. Listen, it's it's definitely the wild west, and it's it's going to be. And I think as the metaverse develops over the next two to five years, things are going to be crazy, and we're going to see wild spikes. Um, and besides the negative connotations of these big celebrities adopting, you know, these these profile picture projects, you know, and and joining these social communities, I mean, we are seeing big things like music groups and stuff like that, and companies adopting these these NFTs to further network. So I think there are positives that come from it, and that comes with, you know, a spread of, uh, you know, awareness to to the public about what an NFT is and how it works. And I think. You know, more people nowadays will know about NFTs before they know about some of the top, you know, layer one blockchains like Solana and Cardano and Polkadot and various things like that. And, you know, I think that's quite cool. And it, it definitely just highlights the narrative that NFTs are going to lead the charge for adoption because a lot of these celebrities do have cult followings. And, you know, we know like the Bitcoin maxis are kind of a cult following as well. So it's kind of like all plays into a, a, a fair narrative, I guess. Um when you look at it more broadly, it is interesting. Like it is interesting how crypto kind of paved the way for NFTs, and now NFTs might pave the way for mass adoption of crypto. Uh, <laughs> I think you know. Love that. If if you think of baseball cards, you know, it, like if you post a photo of your baseball card on social media, you know, and you say, "I have this rare baseball card." It's it's pretty hard for for kind of any third person to come along and and verify this. You know, it, it really is just so intuitive to say, well, you've got this digital baseball card and anyone that wants to verify that you are the owner of this and this is the original baseball card minted, uh, you know, whenever, um, I, I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, uh, no, for sure, for just, sure, just for on sure. that verification front there, I think like something like Twitter, what Twitter's doing is bringing out the verification for your profile picture. Like, I think that stuff is cool. And I think yes, all social yes. media platforms should begin to adopt that. I mean, with Facebook rebranding to Meta and supposedly building the metaverse, like they should adopt a similar thing of verification. You know, all these all these so-called like digital social medias, you know, will eventually adapt to it. And that's why leading back to Coinbase, I think there will be some form of, you know, I think bringing in a social network to it is important, you know, because I think everything about crypto NFTs is the community and community is networking and networking entails influences and entails new, new people. It entails everyone from all sorts of backgrounds in crypto and NFTs. And I think tying that into a social influence, tying that into a social platform is what's going to lead the charge for mass adoption. And I think Coinbase is taking the right step for that. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things around this. Um, it's quite exciting. Yeah, John T. I think you made a you made an interesting I mean, point there with with Twitter and the verification for NFTs. I think you know B Balaji refers to that's that's uh, Balaji 
uh, the kind of tech guru. Say his surname, I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. I dare but, but he, he speaks about like a future where we're in a decentralized West. And I think it's really interesting to think of Twitter kind of helping the NFT space overall by, you know, limiting the impact of kind of false profits, right? Like if, you, if you've got verifiable ownership of NFTs, it's going to go a long way to, to limit kind of, you know, scams, etc. It's going to make the whole space safer. Effectively, I mean, a lot of crypt, a lot of uh, crypto happens on Twitter. Um, NFT communities are built on Twitter, um, so so it's it's, it's interesting. All Twitter like Web two companies, you know, sort of moving over, obviously with the Twitter decks and kind of lending a helping hand, and and kind of you've you've got this the whole space benefiting. Yeah, for sure. No, look, I, I mean, to, to, I to, to close this out, to close this out, um, c- celebrities and, and people with social influence are going to be, I think, the people, especially someone like music, people like music artists are going to be the people who most benefit from NFTs and what the potential of the technology can bring for that. And, and I mean, we didn't even get into Quentin Tarantino and the whole debacle there with Miramax, but maybe that's for another <laughs> conversation um, down the line. Uh, and yeah, I think it's just it, it's just sort of uh, ushering in this this new internet, um, which is which is quite something to behold and just watch happen every single day. Um, but boys, moving on to the next topic for the day. So, um, to everyone, I, it probably hasn't been stealing the headlines over the past couple of weeks, but sort of just plodding along, you know, every so often. And and this this project has just sort of been working in the shadows. And there was a big big event last week with the Polkadot ecosystem with Akala, basically uh, a layer one DeFi hub of Polkadot, as they call themselves. Um, They won the first Polkadot parachain auction uh, with $1.3 billion worth of DOT, which is about 32.5 million uh, DOT, uh, which is the uh, governance token of the Polkadot ecosystem. Um, That happened last week, Thursday. I think Moonbeam... Jonty just told us before we jumped on here that, uh, which is the other, another big project launching on the Polkadot ecosystem, has just closed their crowd loan today. And we're going to explain all of this uh, as, as we get into it. Um, but basically, these parachain auctions, which is simply a way of how these projects onboard into the Polkadot ecosystem, uh, the parachain auctions, which kicked off last week, saw almost $3.5 billion dollars connected by 10 hopeful projects um, with Akala edging out Moonbeam for the first slot and, and Moonbeam most likely to take that second slot later this week um, per Coindesk. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I, I want to also disclose that uh, myself, Jonty and Luca, are we do have a financial interest in the Polkadot um, ecosystem. We are invested, investing in the ecosystem and these uh, parachain crowd loans um, just for full disclosure. Um, before we talk into it, and we will be, you know, as as objective as possible uh, when we discuss it. But that's sort of how you know these projects. If you think of Ethereum, how Uniswap launches on Ethereum, this is just a primer on how things projects launch on Polkadot. But John's, can you just explain briefly for the audience uh, what Polkadot is from a high level um, and where it fits in in the crypto ecosystem? 
Yeah, well, 100%. I mean, you know, let's let's start with the creator of Polkadot, Gavin Wood. You know, he was originally a co-founder of Ethereum. Um, and very early on in the early stages of Ethereum, he realized that there's a lot of inherent flaws uh, with the the blockchain that Vitalik and, and, and the boys were, were developing. Um, and, you know, he ultimately noticed this early on. And, and, and he also noticed that there's a lot of inherent similarities between Ethereum and Bitcoin. And Bitcoin would ultimately run into scaling issues. And Ethereum, as we know today, has run into those similar scaling issues, which Gavin would notice at a very early stage. So, you know, he kind of broke away from the Ethereum team and, you know, ultimately had a thought process as to why try fix an already broken network, rather build a brand new one that's correct from the ground up. And that's ultimately how he birthed the idea of Polkadot and Kusama. Um, and, you know, ultimately Polkadot was developed to have this kind of infinite scalability um, as well as pooled security rather than scalability security like on Ethereum. And, you know, what's quite interesting about this is the way Polkadot works. It has a main relay chain, which is what connects all the various different parachain slots. And each parachain slot is technically its own blockchain. So you can think of multiple blockchains running in parallel that are all interconnected with a relay chain. And what the relay chain is, is it's basically, you know, the, the central chain of the whole Polkadot ecosystem. So what connects security and all of that. And what's great about Polkadot is you don't need the DOT token to interact with the Polkadot projects as they all run on their own parallel blockchain, which means that they can develop the rules, they can decide how the blockchain works and all of that, and then connect to the relay chain. And the only way they can develop this blockchain is by winning a parachain slot through the process of Polkadot crowd loans. And what this process is, is projects like Akalu who won last week or like Moonbeam who have just closed their, their round um, because they clearly believe that they've got, you know, they want to protect the amount of people that contribute. I think they've had over 180,000 different people contribute to their crowd loan now. Um, so they want to make sure that the rewards distributed are worthwhile. So they've closed taking contributions and they look to be winning the second parachain slot. Um, basically how this works is myself as a supporter of the blockchain of the Polkadot blockchain, I will come in and say, okay, cool, I really support the Akala project. I'm willing to loan them my DOT tokens. These projects then accumulate all this DOT from the, the team fund and from community funds, and they basically buy a lease, and they bid in this auction process for a lease. And the project that has the greatest amount of DOT for the longest period of time in the week of bidding wins the parachain slot. Um, and ultimately, they then win a lease period which is divisible in, in, in three-month sectors. And basically, they bid for a maximum of two years. And that means that they can then lease this parachain slot for two years. And when that two-year period is up, they'll rebid for another parachain auction. And, you know, contributors like myself um, would then have our dot locked in their contract for two years, but ultimately re receive the governance token or the main utility token of the protocol in return for... Uh, offering them my dots or loaning them my dots to win the lease, lease slot. So that's basically how it works in a nutshell. Um, yeah. Luca, draw some, draw, draw a comparison to Polkadot. Uh, you know, it sounds what Jonty's so uh, brilliantly put across. It sounds a lot like Ethereum, a lot, you know, Polkadot defines itself, or Gavin Wood at least defines Polkadot as a layer zero. And you have things that are built atop of Polkadot, essentially, but 
not really in, in a weird way. And I urge people to dig deeper to really understand because Polkadot is quite a, an interesting case study in that sense. It, it works quite a lot differently to the standard proof of work, you know, blockchain that we know with Bitcoin and Ethereum. Draw, um, but Luca, draw a comparison to Ethereum, uh, if you can, in the context of how Gavin Wood so bluntly put it, um, that Polkadot uh, promises freedom from Ethereum's economic enslavement. <laughs> I thought that was quite ruthless to put to put across. Um, but yeah, basically just compare, you know, if you can, just what's the biggest differentiator for people to understand between Ethereum and Polkadot? Well, there there are a few. Um, I think probably the most relevant right now is is just how much you're going to pay per transaction. So, I mean, on Ethereum, you know, you <laughs> could you could buy an NFT with a hundred dollars and and pay two hundred dollars uh, to have that transaction um, taken up into the next block. On on Polkadot, you you're looking at cents effectively per transaction. I think the other difference is kind of how it's set up. I mean, Ethereum has the first mover advantage. I mean, most of the development activity is happening on Ethereum. What we're witnessing now with these parachains is is really the birth of protocols which are running on Polkadot. Um, so, so it's, it's, I mean, it's a bit early, I would say, to, to really compare the ecosystem side by side. I mean, fundamentally, what people are going to be interacting with the most is, is the application layer um, of Polkadot, just like most people are interacting with the application layer of Ethereum. So it's going to be really exciting to see, to see what happens. I think I mean what one of the one of the just maybe a last point. I mean one of the innovations of Polkadot, you know, Jonty touched on that parachain process. I mean what you're doing is you're trading liquidity of a governance uh, you're trading liquidity of your Polkadot for governance tokens of projects which you support. It's an interesting concept because you're you're kind of being you're along the Polkadot ecosystem, but you can kind of drill down one one layer deeper and say you know i'm long but but long polka dot in this sector because you've effectively got leverage exposure in the sense that you've got a base in the polka dot token which is locked up and in these governance token rewards yeah and i mean that's 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 truly i think that's the key innovation right is that these you know we do say there are parachains or you know separately that are separate, complete separate entities from the, the core Polkadot relay chain. They, Gavin Wood describes it as that they are literally their own blockchain with their own governance to an extent or their own way of doing things, but they just have all the benefits of the security of the Polkadot relay chain and that ecosystem, and they're able to talk back and forth or communicate back and forth with the Polkadot ecosystem. So I think that's that's the main the main innovation and the main value that you've that you've highlighted there um but guys just to think you know with with what Polkadot promises you know a future of blockchain interoperability interoperability i mean you know with with moonbeam in particular it's like it sort of offers the one project it offers a 
a bridge to Ethereum and, and just a true true interoperability between blockchains, Bitcoin, everything. But what are the what are the risks that you guys have thought about to the Polkadot ecosystem? What could go wrong? You know, given that Polkadot did only launch last year, May, what do they still have to figure out what has to go right? What could go wrong for them? Just well, I mean Go, go for it. I, I, I would just say the, the biggest risk is Don't just attracting. <laughs> it's just attracting <laughs> developers. I mean, credit goes to the guys on the All In Pod for for discussing. I think it was two pods ago. Kind of, you know, the investment just from an investment perspective, like looking at these different blockchains. You know, if there's no no activity, no development, um, it, it's basically a ghost chain, and and it's not viable long term. So I think that the big challenge for Polkadot will be to track that critical mass of developer activity, really. But yeah, like that's, just, Chamath, just, that's Chamath's uh, sort of thesis. He says he looks at developer activity yeah. first. If there's nothing happening, then no go. John I mean, like go. You, look at, you look at Cardano with zero development activity <laughs> and you're like, okay, let's value like, this I, thing at I, almost I, 100 I feel billion. Like, guys, guys I, feel, I feel like you bring Cardano up at least once every podcast, but we never have an actual topic on this. <laughs> sorry, but that is the meme coin. <laughs> it is the meme coin. <laughs> No, but 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 on a real note, um, you know, I think I think the beauty of Polkadot is it's never meant to replace Ethereum. And you know, Luca, you mentioned interoperability, um, and you know, there are multiple projects looking like look, looking at, for example, Moonbeam, which bridges the Ethereum toolchain onto Polkadot, so developers can move the back end of Ethereum-based protocols onto Polkadot and take advantage of the security and scalability of the network while remaining an Ethereum-based project, which is phenomenal. So what I do see is Ethereum will always be the first mover. I think Ethereum will be the backbone of the financial future, you know, or, you know, the, the, the global future. I think Ethereum is the base technology. And I think Polkadot will lead the inter interoperability charge. You know, you've got all these different ecosystem plays like Solana and Terra Luna and you know, all these different blockchains and ultimately, you know, projects that can't interoperate like Cardano, which doesn't want to partner with anyone, you know, those are the projects that won't survive. And I think that's where the risk lies. When you, when you fight the narrative to interoperate with bigger movers in the space or with more efficient movers, I mean, you look at the scalability of Solana, you know, you look at all these different factors. So I think Polkadot's boast for interoperability I think it will become the ultimate, I don't, I'm going to use the term layer two as very loosely because it isn't a layer two, but it will become the layer two solution for Ethereum because we all know ETH 2.0 will not be enough to fix the scalability of Ethereum fees and the, the whole Ethereum congestion. So yeah, but, but again, the risk with Polkadot, just to touch on that point, you know, this is why they launched Kusama, the sister chain, you know, the canary network for Polkadot. And they ran two rounds of parachain auctions and have deployed successful projects on there. That could almost, it isn't a test net, but you can view it as a test net. You know, a lot of projects like Moonbeam, like Akala, they launched Karura and Moon River on Kusama as test net projects as well, which ultimately run as separate companies, you know, under the same umbrella, basically. Um, so, so yeah. don't you use are you saying kind of like the, the risk the risk of attracting developer activity in your view isn't actually that big because 
as an Ethereum project, you can remain an Ethereum project, but deploy on Polkadot. Exactly. I don't think developer mm. attraction is necessarily the key elements. I mean, for blockchains like Solana, it's big because without development activity, they're layer one, you know, they're a direct Ethereum competitor. Like that's the problem there. That's where the risk lies. This narrative of layer zeros with this completely unique technology that, you know, Gavin Wood never built Polkadot to replace ETH. He built it to be like to work with ETH, to interoperate with ETH. And I think that's the narrative that will be successful. So I think that largely mitigates a lot of that development cross, like moving developers across from Ethereum because they can ultimately remain there, but bridge into Polkadot. I guess via Moonbeam. Yeah, via Moonbeam. Um, and, and ultimately there will be lots of other projects. You know, Moonbeam's maybe the first mover, but you know, that's not to say that there's not gonna be you know, I, I eventually you could see every single Polkadot project integrating some form of cross-chain compatibility to partner with Ethereum projects. Like, I mean, I don't think it's just going to stop there with Moonbeam, um, but I do think that they will lead the charge for that interoperability bridge between the two major ecosystems. And I think Polkadot will become, you know, the second biggest player in the space. I think Ethan Polkadot will be the lead, will lead the charge for, you know, the backbones of crypto. Yeah, and I mean, that's not even to mention that, you know, you know, not to mention that Polkadot does also have the capability of doing stuff with Bitcoin as well with everything. Like when we talk about interoperability, it is, it is everything. Um, but, you know, it makes me think, guys, that like almost Polkadot is like the dark horse. If we just to draw, just bear with me with this metaphor. You can you can tell me that I was talking shit afterwards, but. You know, Polkadot in this scenario is... You're talking... You're talking, you're talking Polkadot in this scenario is like, is like the dark horse, like Google, the new the new kid in the search race, and Ethereum's like Yahoo. Yahoo, uh, Ethereum's going to have that moment where they can choose to work with, um, you know, or obviously like Yahoo had the chance to buy Google, they didn't, and now they're, in, they're nobody. Um, you know, in the same vein, maybe Ethereum's going to have that moment to choose and, and just, whether they want to work and open their doors to Polkadot. Just to confirm, Cardano's Bing in this situation, <laughs> eh? <laughs> uh, Or more like Ask, uh, Ask Jeeves. Anyone remember that one? Oh, God, I don't even know about that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that is so good. That is so good. We have to end on that one. Well, you, ob you obviously don't think my, you obviously don't think my uh, analogy is that bad, so... Cool. We'll, we'll, no, we'll, I think it's great. We'll, Let's continue. <laughs> yeah, we'll, no, we'll end on that one. I mean, yeah, it's a super promising ecosystem and definitely excited to see how these go. I, I think, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, the first batch of six winners of these auctions are due to go live on the Polkadot ecosystem on the 17th of December. It, I, correct me if I'm wrong with the date, but uh, definitely exciting times and those are ongoing as we as we're speaking so definitely I, I would also urge people to have a more of a deeper dive into Polkadot it's it's super interesting um, you know what Gavin Wood is, is doing with the what he's built with the technology is is awesome um, he has a really good podcast on real vision finance if you want to go have a listen and he he sort of outlines his his vision for uh, Polkadot but moving on swiftly we have to touch on Massive news that dropped, I think, this weekend, um, just to finish off the pod, about uh, Jack Dorsey through his uh, TBD division, his DeFi division in within Square, just dropped that he'll be building through TBD a, a Bitcoin DEX. Uh, they na they've named it TB DEX and a DEX for 
people who don't know is a decentralized exchange, exchange, uh, an exchange that isn't sort of operated by a central body, you know, even think Coinbase or Binance or, uh, you know, the New York Stock Exchange, for example. Um, boys, what do we think of this news? Massive, right? I mean, I, yeah, it's huge. I, I think I think the moment I saw that article, I sent you guys about a thousand rocket emojis. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, like like I'm pretty bullish on it. I mean, listen, it's you've got you've got one of the world's billionaires that run a massive social platform. You know, on the one end, Twitter integrating NFT verifications, and now Squares, you know, bringing the narrative of creating a Bitcoin Dex. And ultimately, I hope it doesn't stop with just Bitcoin. You know, I think it will definitely integrate a lot of other altcoin. Uh, even though we know Jack's not too interested in the altcoins, but yeah, I think I think it's amazing. I mean, it's just going to bring a whole new level of of liquidity and exposure to this space. Yeah, and I mean, net worth aside, he's he's one of the mm-hmm. most let's not let's not lie, the one of the most intelligent entrepreneurs of the Web two era, who also loves Bitcoin and is a big believer in crypto. So, is he not the perfect guy to to take something like this on? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, didn't he? Didn't he say what was it that he said? He said that if Bitcoin needed the help, he would drop Square and Twitter to oh, pursue I'll read you Bitcoin. This quote. Or... I'll, I'll, I'll read you guys this, guys this quote. I've got the article on. Um, uh, what do you say? Whatever my companies can do to make it accessible to everyone is how I'm going to spend the rest of my life. He said about Bitcoin in June. If I were not at Square or Twitter, I'd be working on Bitcoin. If it needed more help than Square or Twitter, I would leave them for Bitcoin. I mean, it sounds like he's talking about his his like long lost lover. Yeah, no, but I think I think it is a, is amazing, and if someone's going to do it, if someone's going to pull it off, it's going to be him. And, and to be honest, like I don't know what you thought about Luca, but I did not see him coming out with a dex centered around Bitcoin of all things, right? No, absolutely, it's 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 really yeah. interesting. I, I think one of the things that that stood out to me was the discussion of fiat on and off ramps. So I think fiat on-ramps are quite accessible these days, but fiat off-ramping is, 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 is not so easy. Um, and I think if they're able to implement that in Twitter, I mean, it's going to build a lot of confidence. Dude, what do you mean by fiat off-ramping exactly? Well, I mean, if you, if you, you can buy crypto with a debit card and a credit card, right, for example. But to, to get your crypto back into cash in your bank account, um, you know, you need an exchange account which is linked to your bank account. Um, and it's not always an easy process. I mean, deposits above a certain amount generally trigger a red flag. You know, I think if they find some, some intelligent way yes, and fees of and- creating almost a bank account equivalent where you can effectively, I mean, you've got like DEX aggregators. You could see kind of like an app being built where if you want to sell, I don't know, Ethereum, it gets rooted against Bitcoin and the Bitcoin gets sold on the, on the Twitter DEX um, for cash. And that cash ends up in your Twitter bank account or your Square bank account effectively. I think if they can solve the, the, the kind of flow issue on the other end, it's 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 going to bring the whole crypto space forward. Well, I mean, they've sort of got a solution for that already, right? Don't they? With their strike integration, you've, you're basically creating a, a bank account out of your Twitter account, a semi, like a, a, I don't know, Neo or Meta bank account almost. 
but I mean, if you need to transfer like 200 euros to your dentist. Okay, fine. Yeah. Not as practical yet. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite there yet, I think. You know, for the everyday, yeah, and, and guys, like, like, think about what do you do when you log on to your online banking? Like, what I'm referring to is kind of like, if there's some way, because they're talking about a Bitcoin DEX, like, they specifically mention fiat on and off ramps. Uh, I think if they get that off ramp thing right, in the sense that it, it links straight into some sort of product where you're able to kind of pursue these kind of functions you would usually do in your online banking account. I think that that'll be really big. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the release. For sure. And what do we think it's going to be built on? Because the, the white paper apparently doesn't, uh, oh. I haven't read it in full yet, but it apparently doesn't mention actually what it's going to be built on. And I, I got thinking this afternoon, I was like, wait a second, the Taproot soft fork upgrade, which basically allows Bitcoin to have a, a lot more, um, you know, efficiency and, uh, smart contract capability than before. If if people haven't uh, looked into that, I urge you to. Um, I'm not. We're not going to deep dive in, into the details of that now. But that got me thinking. Okay, wait a second. Could he actually be building like a native Dex on Bitcoin? Is that even a possibility? I don't know. I'm just. This is just conjecture at the moment, on my part. Like I mean, I mean, if it's if it's gonna happen, he'll make it happen. You know, I mean, here here's here's a Bitcoin maxi. I mean, this guy would want to launch on Bitcoin, but ultimately, I think practicality, like practicality, you know, would come with building it on ETH, um, and then just wrapping Bitcoin. I think that would probably be the Jonty. Jonty, what what's it gonna take? What's it gonna take? Like, how are we gonna get Dorsey on the pod? And for you to for you to for you to red pull him, for you to red pull him yeah. <laughs> as an ETH maxi. I'll I'll red I'll red pull the man into Squid Token. Eh? <laughs> no, I mean, look, we don't want that. Listen, I think, we don't want I think that. we first need to get Sachs on the call, and then we get Chama, and then we get Jack okay. Dorsey. <laughs> we got to take small small steps at a time, guys. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Sorry, I'm being too ambitious. I'm being too ambitious. Well, I think that that pretty much that pretty much wraps wraps it up for this week. Uh, guys, thanks so much. Great, great discussion. As always, like clockwork, we will be back next week, Monday, same time, same place for the next episode. Guys, any closing thoughts? Any shout outs you want to make? No, that was that was a great episode, guys. I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to next week. Cool. Yes, likewise. Thanks. Bye-bye, everybody. See you next week.